da 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 You sound insane. You realize that? Yeah. The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. So, like our Star Wars post-game show was backed by popular demand, now our Star Wars post-game show post-game show is backed <laughs> by popular demand. And uh, part two of our annual guess, Star Wars breakdown here on the Mad About Movie podcast coming. And this year, courtesy of Rogue One, a Star Wars story. Not an episode like last year. And um, definitely worthy of just as much conversation. So, having said that, welcome, everybody. Brian Gill is joining me tonight. Uh, I am your host, Kent. Richard is out for the evening. But Brian and I will take the reins because we are the Star Wars aficionados of the show. And uh, I think you and I, Brian, combined, correct me if Mm -hmm. I'm wrong, um, we've done four hours of Star Wars trailer (laughs) talk on the show. Yeah, at least. At least, yeah. yeah. It's a fair estimate. Not not four segments, four hours, I think it's safe to say. Uh, so we have plenty of stuff to talk about, and uh, we're going to – we talked main, mainly, I guess, general thoughts last time, just kind of our immediate mm-hmm. reaction. Not a lot of time to process the movie in our last episode. I fully admit that yeah. because we and literally – 4 o'clock in the morning. Oh, so, yeah. We, we went to the midnight showing and then came home and recorded, <laughs> and by the time the episode was, uh, I think, available, I, I stayed up and edited the show and put it on the, on the, the podcast oh. feed for the listener to hear, so I think it was about – four or five when I went to bed. But having said that, I didn't have a full clear mind and a lot of time to process what I had just seen. So again, immediate reactions, but this will be more of how we've kind of felt over the past week and uh, definitely had more time to think about it, look into the Easter eggs and a lot of the plots and characters and things like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to a more detailed convo tonight, but we are joined by a special guest all the way from the other side of the world right now in Australia. <laughs> and John is joining us from Australia. How's it going, John? Hey, guys. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, I've been, you know, really the only Star Wars content that I've kind of allowed myself to digest over the lead up has kind of been you guys. So, oh, I'm so uh, sorry. It's really, no, it's, <laughs> it's, really good to, uh, it's really good to be on here. Thank you for, uh, you know, <laughs> providing all that, you know, well, discussion yeah. about Star Wars. So, uh, and uh, no, excited to talk about Rogue One today. Thanks. Good. Well, it's awesome, and thank you to technology for allowing you to be on the show right now <laughs> via Australia, live in real time here with us, but this is going to be fun. And so I saw this movie, Rogue One, again for the second screening last night. So I saw it, I guess, midnight on the night it premiered on this past Friday, and then so Monday I would have seen it again. So it was about three days uh, between me and my screenings. And mm-hmm. so I had a little bit of time to process it before I went and saw it the second time. Uh, Brian, kind of fill us in on how many times you've seen it. Is it up to seven now? <laughs> Not you seven. go twice a Not day, seven. right? I, I did go twice a day for two days. I stopped at four. So I saw it. When we <laughs> recorded our post-game show, I had seen it twice. And then uh, the following day, I went once with my kiddo, took him to see it, and then turned right around and... Um, I think I've said before I work with kids and I, I have a group of uh, a group of boys that are like high school and, and early college age that I've been mentoring for a few years. And so anytime there's a Star Wars movie or a big movie like this, we, we all go see it. So I took them to see it uh, Friday night. So I'm, I'm four showings in four, four showings in uh, a, a little a little over 24 hours. So that's 
that's the way to really inoculate yourself or uh, just go full all in on a movie like that. That's a hundred percent all in. You spent a hundred dollars <laughs> on just oh yeah movie oh, yeah. tickets to Real, see Rogue One. So smart way to do things around the holidays, right? Like just definitely spend it all on movie tickets. It's crazy that an executive at Lucasfilm could have like bought their family dinner with just what you, the <laughs> tickets that you purchased to yeah. Rogue One. Yeah. Like uh, they're just yeah. their cut too. Like after yeah. they pay the, the the theater for the distribution fees and all that. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. still could have had a, a nice nice meal courtesy of Brian yep. Gill on this yep. past Del Christmas. or something. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially since I bought I mean I bought tickets for I don't know I feel like every group of, of uh friends, at least uh that I know of, like has like a person that kind of buys everything and everybody pays them back and, and I'm that person and so I I had several hundred dollars sitting out there that I'm just like Venmo invoicing my friends yeah. and stuff. Just like, hey, you guys got to pay me back. This is a lot of money that's sitting out there. So, uh, it was it was quite the treat for Star Wars executives. You're welcome, Kathleen Kennedy. Yes, exactly. Well, John, how many times have you seen it? And I assume you've seen it once at least. So that's quite a requirement to be on. The episode. <laughs> so, what's Absolutely. your uh, kind of a bummer if you haven't seen it yet? That would be <laughs> yeah, kind of a wasted nah. episode. Do fulfill that requirement. I yeah, actually just just got back from my fourth viewing earlier today. I saw it in 3D for the first time. Awesome. But uh, it's funny, like you, Brian, I'm the I'm the guy who kind of organizes uh, the uh, the premiere night for for my group of friends. We have six of us who went along last year to uh, the Force Awakens. So we brought the same crew back this year. And like you guys, like we had the midnight session, which um, I'm sure we had a similar experience where it's uh, you know it's pretty pretty uh, late night to have if you've had a had a long day at work or something like right. that so it's right. on top of all just the normal nerves and anticipation it's just hard to kind of uh take it all in on the first first showing so you need to mm-hmm. you need to uh, definitely um see it a couple more times to to i think i've now digested it all and it's you know oh, I, and i'm quite happy with it i felt that it was going to hold up on the rewatch and i'm sure we'll get into that but that's definitely uh that's definitely the takeaway for me yeah absolutely well let's just talk in general terms about the weekend uh it did win the weekend believe it or not like shocker yeah. shocker that it it won this that it beat uh, office christmas party's third yeah. week or whatever sorry collateral beauty you didn't yeah. stand a chance no. by the way i guess that guy is back to <laughs> making mm. the cobbler or whatever he i don't know <laughs> isn't that the same guy who made a uh, spotlight Gosh, I, boy i hope not let me check that makes me really depressed if it is uh no, not the same guy. Thank you. Which Lord. guy is oh. it? What David Frankel do? directed this. His big movie is Marley and Me and Devil Wears Prada. Okay. Uh, Tom. What's no, that guy's I'm name? pretty sure the guy wrote it then from uh, uh, Spotlight. Man, All right, I gotta check this out now. You're super depressing. Like, there was some uh, like a big name attached. Tom to McCarthy. This. Tom McCarthy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, I hope not. I really hope not. Please don't have written this. I don't know. There was some big name attached to that, like directing or writing wise. And I was like, that could be good. Like with the people behind it, like not only Will Smith, but people behind it. Maybe, maybe I'm thinking of Marley and me director here, but I don't know. <laughs> he did not write it. Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. That, was, that was pretty nervous. That was a close call. That. Yeah. Anyway, so it did win the weekend. And I kind of... I want to get your thought on this, Brian, because we had talked about this in our Rogue One trailer talk, I think. Mm-hmm. Four-day total for Rogue One, um, $172 million. Yeah, not, not too shabby. Not too uh, shabby. Com- comparable to uh, The Dark Knight's four-day total was 182 So mm. slightly underperforming 
The Dark Knight, okay. which was the biggest movie of 2008, if not the biggest mm-hmm. movie of that decade. So, uh, I don't know where your expectations were, but I think for the uh, the the three day total, I think we predicted 130 ish, 140, yeah. and I think we kind of pretty much nailed that uh, on the head. Yeah, as far it, as it topped out a little. Yeah, about a one one fifty five for the three day mm-hmm. totals. That's pretty. Uh, it's pretty dang solid. I think that's about what we expected. I I saw projections of between one thirty and one forty. So coming out of one fifty five and the four day total was solid. And and overseas obviously did really well. So I think everybody. I, I felt like Disney was trying really hard to get out ahead of it as far as like, hey guys, this is not going to be Force Awakens money. Like that wasn't in the cards at all in any way, shape, or form. And I feel like we knew that. I feel like, um, I don't, I mean, I feel like educated moviegoers knew that, but I do think Disney was trying really hard to get ahead of whatever potential negative press there may have been by just like really laying it out that, hey, we're, we're not expecting this to, uh, we're trying to temper expectations. We do not think that this is going to do Force Awakens money because, I mean, what, what can do Force Awakens money? That's like $250 million on opening weekend, which is insane. So, um, but no, I think they're. I would imagine Disney's very happy with uh, with that total. I think they're. Yeah, they're definitely happy with that. I think it definitely outperformed their expectation mm-hmm. of what they thought. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and I think anything over one twenty was probably uh, was probably just gravy for them. What was the hype like in Australia, John, uh, for Rogue One? Was it comparable to The Force Awakens? Because over here. The Force Awakens, I I felt like Brian was way more superior, more more significant than Rogue One. Um, I think the Rogue One fans definitely came out. The Star Wars fans came out. Like our screening was sold out. I felt the energy, but not like the energy that I felt for Episode Seven. So, what was it like? Uh, your screening, I guess the first screening and all that. What was the what was the experience like? Yeah, it was, it was. It was probably the same over here. The in terms of, I guess, marketing the you know the advertisements on television and billboards around the place, they, they were fairly noticeable. But definitely on the on the evening, uh, well, the premiere evening, it was much quieter. Uh, there was mm-hmm. you know probably it's, it seemed at least to me a bit more of a like hardcore Star Wars element. Like there was still you know people getting dressed up and what have you. But maybe the, there was less kids uh, families coming along to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was definitely at the, the cinema that we went to, which was the same that we saw The Force Awakens, much quieter. Um, so I think people are perhaps were waiting a bit longer to, to check it out in the cinema. Maybe that's tr- maybe that is the case. Uh, so let's just start this thing off, John. With your general thoughts on Rogue One, uh, kind of where <laughs> do you rank it amongst the Star Wars movies at this point in time? Just after seeing it four times, and and uh, I mean, does it even rank for you? Uh, I, I just want your kind of general synopsis before we dive deep in here yeah i think so i think that it probably rates uh i mean i I would have difficulty placing it above any of the original trilogy but i think it's probably probably nestled somewhere as the fourth best or maybe the third best uh you know perhaps put it ahead of maybe jedi but um, yeah, as I said, on the, the first evening, I was uh, having a bit of, uh, I mean, I enjoyed it, but I, I, I still, I guess, uh, needed to see it more. As I said before, it was a, it was a late night and, and some of those details, which are probably one of the weaknesses I found with the movie, um, 
was the you know the amount of exposition uh, mm. that was definitely crammed in there. But uh, I think on the on the rewatches that you know where everything's headed and you pick up on some of those details that you probably miss when it's uh, 1.30 a.m. in the morning and, you know, you've had <laughs> sure. a few, co- few coffees and maybe a couple of adult beverages. So I, I was pretty happy with it, how it all played out. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I, I, I try to, I guess, um, maintain the purity of the experience by avoiding as many spoilers and, and things as possible outside oh. of you guys, really. But, um, yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was pretty pleased with it overall. There's a couple of nip, you know, nitpicks that I have. I think the platform scene is where some of the uh, there's some convoluted aspects to it, but um, I, uh, I was I was from the from the get go that, that the the uh, introduction of uh, Cassie and Andor really uh, kind of uh, impressed me, and uh, I I liked some of the new worlds that we visited. And as I said, I think after the platform, where some of the Kind of uh, complex, like complex aspects of the plot were kind of kind of squared off. Maybe some of the rewriting or reshoots that they did mm-hmm. before moving onto the big set piece at the end, where it all. It, I mean, that last forty-five minutes is is just incredible. Right, mm-hmm. Probably that has to go down as one of the. I don't, know, I don't know what you guys would think, but maybe top three, top five set pieces in. Oh, the, I think for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's um, man, this on the second watch, it really kind of cemented that this is the most technically proficient star wars film that's come out i think even even above the force awakens as far as what they were just able to do on camera and with cg in this movie i don't know how much gareth edwards had to do with that how much more it was pre-visualized how much more of a production schedule that they had rather than trying to get episode seven out i know that was rushed even the three years that it took them to make it i know it was even rushed then so i don't know what that has to do with but i i was just blown away at how great this movie looked and felt uh the second time around uh the first time was definitely more of just kind of taking it all in and and we did the imax 3d and that whole thing but i really had a a big appreciation for the look and feel of this film and uh i mean i really do think gareth edwards brought some flair to this Uh, i didn't see it as much the first time around but i definitely saw it more the second time he it feels like he really respects Star Wars uh, in a lot of ways, and in some of the ways that, especially in hindsight, that I felt like J.J. Uh, Abrams was paying playing off the original trilogy maybe a little too heavy handedly, or uh, in ways that I didn't feel would hold up on second viewing or tenth viewing or whatever. Uh, you know, things that were for the people that oh hey remember Star Wars, but you know. <laughs> I, I, you know, they're like the Dejaric chess scene in uh, in uh, The Force mm. Awakens, where the chess comes alive for like six seconds, and but we have to like stop down and like watch <laughs> it, and, and you know what I mean? Like it's just like those small moments. I'm just like, can we move on? You know, I don't, I don't need those. <laughs> like, like they, they, they give me the warm fuzzies that first time, but after that, I just like, I wish there was a non, like, non cheesy uh, version of like in the Blu-ray that you could play like without all the star wars like uh nods and and stuff so that kind of took it away from me uh as far as the force awakens but this does that stuff it this has those clever nods to the original trilogy without being so in your face about it like the force awakens was like i find find a lot of stuff i'm like man where did i recognize that you know that droid from or where do i recognize that outfit from and it, it took me a while to kind of uh think about and figure some of this stuff out and so I really appreciated that, that like 
it, it really does uh, have that stuff there for the Star Wars fans, you know, those kind of Easter eggy mm-hmm. type of things, and it does tie into the other movies, but it's just a lot more cleverly hidden or better directed or more well-written. I don't know which one of the three it is, but the second time around, I for sure, I was like, man, I did not notice all these little nods <laughs> to the original trilogy, and now I do. I don't know if, like George says, it, it, it's like it's like poetry. It rhymes. Uh, I don't know how how conscious that was, or if it's just like uh, if, if that was just part of the uh, experience for Gareth Edwards when, in making the film. But I noticed a lot more of that stuff. Brian, what what kind of stuck out to you on the third and fourth and even second <laughs> viewing that uh, maybe we didn't mention the first time around? Like, what are your thoughts on this movie right now? How have they changed? Yeah, you know. I'm still I'm still conflicted on the movie as a whole, and that really frustrates me um, because, as uh, as the biggest you know biggest Star Wars nerd in the world, I I, I want to just love everything Star Wars and not even uh, really even think about it beyond just like oh my gosh it was so great, um, and that's uh, so that that poses a little bit of a of a, a problem for me. I think everything you guys are saying is right. Um, I like the Easter egg stuff. I you know and the the little bits of thrown in kind of not necessarily even homage but just like winks to the camera i like that stuff uh you know i'm on record as saying i i love the nostalgia aspect of force awakens it does you know i've watched that movie a dozen two to i don't know i don't know how many times it never gets old to me it doesn't bother me there's like if i had my way i would say maybe have one less mention of you know some sort of like star wars uh original trilogy nod or something like that but overall I i really like it they do a great Edwards and whoever else was involved in all this. They did a great job of tucking those things away and just making them uh, a little more visual. Um, you know, I like something you said on our post game show, Kent, about uh, this is a you know this doesn't necessarily feel like Star Wars, and that's a good thing. Like that's that's fine because it's not supposed to be uh, the same sort of thing. That that kind of bothered me first go around. It bothered me less. Second, third, fourth time uh, through the through the order, I guess. Uh, visually, it's incredible. It's so it looks so great. That last forty five minutes is uh, is up there as you know as one of the better acts of the entire year, like in any movie, uh, let alone Star Wars as a whole. It's incredible. I mean, that's a straight war movie, and it works so well. Um, it's a lot of fun to watch, and kind of brings all this stuff together. I, I love how they closed it out. I do I wonder two things. One, if that if that was the open to the movie and then you were left with some sort of uh plot for another hour afterwards, I don't know how you would, you know, put that put all of that together, but if the if the movie ended on a less high note, I think uh people think of this movie differently. And maybe that's like Captain Obvious, I don't know. Like um I think it just ends so well that mm you walk out of the theater kind of willing to overlook any of the the issues within because you're just so impressed with uh with how yeah. it closes um but all that stuff is great all of it's great it also in some ways like leaves me more frustrated with some of the stuff that's missed throughout because like I love, uh, I love the. I think, man, I think you're right, Kent. Like it's really well, it's really cleverly written in uh, these little um, Easter eggs and the way that they move from 
character to character and place to place. That stuff's really good. And then there's just all these, there's still to me very things that I feel like could be fixed very easily. And that, so it's frustrating to me. I'm frustrated anytime I walk out of a movie and say that was good. It could have been great. And I feel like to be great, it would not have required that much reworking. I, I still think the two leads are bad or are not up to what, uh, what maybe they needed to be to really uh, carry this, carry some you know, extra weight. I really liked Felicity Jones. I liked that casting coming in. Uh, second, third, fourth viewing, to be honest, she got more annoying to me. I just could not, I can't get, I could not get behind her character. And we got a lot of emails from people saying that they were emotionally invested uh, in those characters and in their, their story arcs. And I wish that I, I guess I wish I could say the same. Um, I, I think Diego Luna was probably just miscast. You I know, think Richard it's, says just a, it's just a character that really uh, you kind of need, but you don't at the same time. It's just kind of, honestly, yeah. everybody in this movie is a throwaway except for Felicity Jones. Like, she's the only yes. she's yeah. the only character that, like, the, the plot exists because of her and mm-hmm. her father mm-hmm. and the whole, that whole aspect. That's the really plot A, right? And, yeah. And, and uh, I guess... Diego Luna or Cassie and Andor is just kind of the uh, MacGuffin of of, mm-hmm. of How taking do we her get... taking her from point A to point B. You know, yeah, um, he really is. He's transportation. Like right. I think you said that in the last episode, and you're totally you're spot on there. Look, we see this a lot in film and TV and and everything, all the way back to like I'm thinking of uh, Will Ferrell was like this on SNL, where the writing for whatever bit they were doing wasn't that great and they just basically just turned it over to him and said like make something happen here like just just go for it just bring this together and he would because he's the greatest SNL cast member ever and he's so you know charismatic and whatnot and he could and talented and he could pull it off that happens a lot in movies where uh I get the sense that the actor is being asked to carry a load that maybe either he's not capable of pulling or that he just wasn't put in the position to do so. You know what I mean? I would love to switch Riz Ahmed and, and Diego Luna. I think that would work for both of them quite well. Uh, and I think the movie's a little bit better for it. I just, I guess through four viewings, and I'm sure there will be dozens more down the road, because it's certainly not going to, I'm not going to not watch this movie uh, over and over again like I have with with uh, four of the previous seven Star Wars movies. I, I just, mm, I think the I think the I think the forty page treatment of this plot and the script and whatnot is great, and then the fleshing out uh, still leaves me kind of frustrated and, and concerned. I guess of just like why yeah. I don't understand. There's too much jumping early on. I still think there's too many characters that don't matter. I don't like the. I still don't care about the. I, I don't care about Jin's backstory at all. Yeah. I, I I tried the second, third, fourth time, and I was kind of at peace with it, I guess, but not to a place where I was uh, where I really cared about what was happening with her. To me, she turns into as much as Cassian is a transportation piece to get her from place to place. I think she is a transportation mechanism to. Uh, get the story where it needs to go. You know what? I think you're right. Uh, John, I know you got a point here. Sorry. I think you're right, uh, Brian. And 
I might go out on the limb and say that the in rewrites and reshoots, they came up with the plot line that her father is working for the Death Star. Because yeah, in the hologram maybe. sequence where uh, her father is kind of explaining to her where he's been and mm-hmm. here's, mm-hmm. you know, here's the, here's how you get the plans. And I've planted, you know, this, this, uh, uh, flaw in the system so that all you got to do is shoot it and it blows up or whatever. Like none of that exposition is, is what you can see his mouth moving and giving it all of that exposition mm-hmm. of that type of stuff is like mm-hmm. reaction shots of her or like shots of around the room or behind him. Like yeah. it was stuff that they had to edit in later. Uh, I'm I'm 99% sure that's the case uh, just because of the editing of that sequence. And and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, the only time that that it kind of does do that is when it, the, the signal starts to kind of break up on the hologram. He is talking about all you have to do is shoot it once. And so mm-hmm. that, that mm-hmm. maybe was kind of in there. But I'm I'm willing to bet that a lot of that plot line was kind of forced in or, or they said, well, we don't really care about care about any of these characters we need to care about one of them how about jen yeah let's make her yeah. storyline more important <laughs> and then they kind of work that so i think originally brian uh like you said this reads really well as far as a you know a one pager or a, a pitch if you mm-hmm. will if you're going to pitch this to lucasfilm i'm sure it was a great pitch uh and everything but um Maybe the original viewing of this or the original concept was this is an ensemble piece. This is the Magnificent Seven. We're going to kind of meet all these characters along the way. They're going to team up in this crazy way, you know, these kind of people who would never otherwise meet. And then they're going to accomplish this great goal of Mm -hmm. this, you know, this great thing of saving the rebellion. You know, what a great story. But then, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe on the first watch, it was like, well, there's no protagonist. We kind of don't like Mm -hmm. any. Nobody has a personality. Diego Luna is, you know, flat as a board. Uh, yeah. you know, the only charisma at all is Felicity Jones other than, uh, Donnie Yen, and we can't make Donnie Yen the main character of this thing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm willing to bet that there was a lot, if any rewrites, it, it, it had to focus on that. But John, what were you going to say? About yeah, all no, this? I agree, agree with a lot of that. Uh, hundred percent. Uh, I think on some of my rewatches, um, you can definitely tell that, uh, some of the, the changes that they've made to try and make it a bit more, I guess, emotionally resonant, uh, by having that family angle. I think I had mentioned somewhere as well that uh, Riz Ahmed's character wasn't originally, uh, as it, as it played out in the film, that he, uh, not sure whether he was an Imperial defector um, or, you know, uh, in concert with Galen Erso. So, yeah, um, yeah there definitely seems to have been a, a fair ch- uh, changing of, the, of how the story was told, really. And, and I think, and that's the reason I feel perhaps that Certainly for uh, Felicity Jones and Diego Luna's characters, they are pretty much exposition vehicles throughout the movie, uh, you know, telling you what's happening as it, as it goes along. And, uh, you know, for that reason, I thought that, you know, I probably agree with you guys, though, they fell flat a bit for me. Uh, and one example was like with Diego Luna's character, I thought his introduction where he, you know, he, he kind of... Uh, showed to be a bit of a shady character, a bit of the great um, hand shot first scenario with him. And then, he, then beyond that was fairly, you know, fairly wooden and flat uh, as far as that character. I, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I really, uh, you know, this is, this is a bit of kind of um, fan fantasy, but I, I really uh, liked a bit of uh, Pedro Pascal's work in uh, Narcos and Game of Thrones. And I, I, I yeah. think that, yeah. 
I would love to have seen him in a Star War, and I thought he would have uh, played that role really well. So, yeah, that obviously is just a hypothetical. But, um, yeah, those, those characters uh, were a bit lacking. And and uh, for a lot of the characters, I found that their, their motivations, they're either explained or a bit more subtle than those from The Force Awakens, where they in that movie, for whatever reason, they had the luxury of giving all those great character moments for Ray and Finn, and they really sold those characters to the audience where you didn't really get that with Jin Erso. So um, there was no real, I guess, connection to her um, throughout the movie. How much, um, How much did you see or did you compare the intro scene to The Force Awakens and the fact that it mirrors it and like a ship is coming into the atmosphere. Oh no, a, dro- a, a droid sees it, gets scared, goes to alert somebody, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, like I said, the, the poetry at rhymes thing is great, but I mean, who, is there a who, concern that yeah, like who on the first like read through wasn't like, Hey guys, this is exactly how <laughs> the last one started. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, maybe yeah. we can think of just anything else, like how to start this movie. Uh, I mean, it worked, and, you know, the first time, you don't really think about it much, but definitely on the second viewing, I was like, oh, this is this is just The Force mm-hmm. Awakens. And, you know, Kylo Ren comes out of the ship and confronts him and everything, and yeah. that's kind of kind of kicks it, off the story. This is more, it's more of a prologue here than it is a, kind of the first scene of the movie, because it comes before the, the title card and everything, but uh, yeah. it, it did, did feel the same, and... If if that's a direct, you know, kind of a parallel there, then that's fine. Is that's kind of how all these are going to work? Is they're going to kind of mirror each other? This new trilogy or these new movies, then that works too. I just don't know what to think right now. It's like, are they lazy? Are they that lazy? Like, do they think this is the only way to do this? You know, like to show a planet and then a ship flies by and then it flies into an atmosphere. You know what I mean? Like, I I'm just mm-hmm. waiting for like. To me, these standalones were the perfect reason to just go, just do whatever with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like something you yeah. would, and, and, you know, for the most part, they did. They they gave us stuff, yeah. and, and they, they went about it in a different way, but you you still had those kind of traditional Star Wars elements. And I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for, maybe Lord Miller do it, just kind of turn Star Wars on its head and just be like, what the crap did we just see? Was that even Star Wars, you know? Like, I thought that's what we were getting with Gareth Edwards, but... Um, he, he, he stuck to the script, uh, if you will, a, a little bit more than I maybe expected to, but that was kind of the, just the one maybe moment that, that, uh, and, and of course there are others, uh, I'll start going into some Easter egg talk here. So, uh, similar to a new hope, I guess this movie kind of mainly parallels a new hope and empire more than any, or call, has callbacks to those, uh, just the locations and sort of the set pieces. So they do have a sequence where uh they have to uh the the imperials are coming on the ship to inspect it and they kill the imperials and switch uniforms with them and come back out on the other side uh they use that disguise as a disguise uh but it's nice in this it's clever in this because k2so doesn't need a disguise like he's just already an imperial uh droid and like i mentioned i think in the Last episode we did, I thought that was just a really clever choice to make him an Imperial droid and kind of have that plot device of the fact that he can go anywhere undetected. Uh, they they kind of can use him that way. And they have that funny moment where she shoots the droid and he goes, did you know that wasn't me? That, that was a funny moment as well. So um, I like that. So that, that scene kind of mirrored that uh, when they had to switch the uniforms. Uh, they do have to give like clearance codes 
in order to get into the base, and uh, he kind of uh, flubs him, kind of like Han Solo does the, uh, I'm fine, how are you? Doing good? You know, that whole thing. Um, yeah. There's kind of one of those exchanges in here. Like, it, it, it's not so obvious, like I said, but it, it, when you think about it more, there are definitely moments that uh, that are reminiscent of that. Uh, second of all, Cassian Endor's jacket is the winter coat that Han wears on Hoth, or at least in a version of that. I don't know if it's a graduated version of that. Uh, but um, there's another thing. Uh, I noticed as well, but uh, what did you, what what stuck out to you, I guess, uh, John, that maybe the second time, third time, what what kind of maybe irked you more than you thought it would uh, a- after every time? Like, the th- surely by the third time, there was like one part <laughs> or one moment they were just like, oh, gosh. Or, you know, maybe they could have gone about something a little bit uh, better. Um. Uh, I guess there was just small nitpicks as far as like on the second occasion was probably the one where I I found the most things that irked me a bit. Um, I think in particular I mentioned the the uh, platform scene on Edu. I think it's the planet was called where um, I was just saying it was well, it was a number of convoluted things that had to happen, come together. I know it's Star Wars and that kind of thing, but um, just as far as it was the first of two occasions where. Um, Ben Mendelssohn's character arrived at the same location within a you know ten minute time <laughs> like across the galaxy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, Jin's, uh they all kind of follow each other out in you know groups, just, you know, uh, um, just enough, just far enough away from each other that they don't you know interfere with you know all the different things that they're trying to do. And Jin manages to make it down a huge canyon and then back up a you know a huge uh, I guess ladder, which. Uh, seem to have the similar workplace safety standards of uh, <laughs> <laughs> the traditional imperial uh, buildings. Uh, yeah, that that was a bit. That was a bit. Um, like I think they they obviously needed to manufacture a scene where Jin and Mads Mikkelsen came together before mm-hmm. uh, he he was killed, and, and for that reason, it just seemed to be all a bit too convenient. And you know, then the then the uh, the X wings show up and that kind of thing. Uh, I guess I. I guess I found um, Saw Gerrera a bit comical on yeah. a couple of occasions as well. He, like, if dare I say it, he seems a bit more of a prequels character. You I know think, what? Uh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go on. I, I think there's maybe two reasons for that. Uh, one is because it was a character that people knew, so mm. it's like, hey, we can bring this character to life on the big screen, like mm. a character mm. no one really even cared that much about. And mm. correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but wasn't Mads... I feel like Mads Mikkelsen was added really late in the process. Like he was the last I person we ever right, heard yeah. about being yeah. in this movie. So is it possible that going back to my point earlier that he wasn't in the movie at all? Like yeah. the, the father <laughs> character and that Saw Guerrera was supposed to be like the the mm. uh the key to them getting into the Imperials mm. or to finding out uh where the Death Star was or where the plans were. But that didn't yeah. work at all, so they needed some another excuse. And so, what if her dad worked for the Imperials? You know, like all you really have to shoot, like logistics-wise, if that's what we're talking about, like a month of reshoots, you have to shoot that opening scene with. You have to shoot the opening scene with Ben Mendelsohn. You have to shoot the hologram sequence, and you have to shoot a couple cutaways of like Diego Luna trying to snipe uh, the mm. dad, uh, you know, from afar. Like that's really yeah. like the the meat of it of that plot line. Um, so logistically, uh, I'm saying uh, just from you know 
can this be done? Yes, 100%. That could have that whole plot line could have been forced into this movie, no pun intended, at the last minute. And mm-hmm. very successfully, if that's the case, I will say. Like that like Yeah, that, it's like that's a, that's an example of okay, this doesn't work great, but it works good enough to get the job done, you know. It's a really interesting I think it's kind of like a microcosm of this whole movie because there's a dozen pieces out there this week talking about what was what was added, what was taken away. Um, Slash Film did did a really good piece just breaking down the early trailers and showing footage and, and screenshots yeah. and stuff like that from those. And there's so much that is cut. And so to be honest, like I don't know what you guys are going to grade this, but um, I won't give away my grade, but I'm, I'm going to give this a, a pretty good grade. And to, uh, to pull this off <laughs> with what looks like a, a pretty convoluted, difficult, Shot, shooting schedule and a, and a strange edit and I, I think after having seen it four times I think Gareth Edwards had a really bloated script that he had to try to to pare down to and Tony Gilroy as well to try to, to try to pare down into a two hour and 15 minute movie and so like it's yeah. it's it's crazy to say like like I'm I'm nitpicking or more even more than nitpicking like I'm talking about a lot of issues within this movie and it's still a very good, especially a very good blockbuster. So like, bravo, right? Like it's, it's very, it's a huge accomplishment to have been able to pull this off. It also lends itself to my, as a huge Star Wars nerd, just like my frustration with why isn't this better than it, than it is, you know? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm super impressed after having read everything this week that this is even, that we're not just panning this right now because it sounds like this was a much more difficult process to pull together than than we than we believed at the time you know yeah and it might be a possibility and according to like the first trailers wasn't the first trailer didn't it have something to do uh saw guerrera is having a monologue saying like what will you do when Mm -hmm. they catch you yeah uh will you become one of them what will you become and all this i'm pretty sure and, and again just backing up my point earlier that couldn't this have been, okay, Jyn Erso, you know, maybe she is abandoned as a kid. Maybe that's the plot line. Uh, Saw Guerrero raises her, okay? He's the father mm-hmm. figure in her life. And she finds out about the Death Star and finds out where they are, the plans are. She decides, you know what? Screw, the, screw this. I'm joining the Rebellion. I'm going to go find these plans. I've got, you know, this is my, this is my, what I want to do. And Saw Gerrera trying to convince her, don't do this. You're my, you're my daughter. And the whole thing is about her and her rebellion, uh, uh, joining the rebellion, if that makes sense. Um, I think that's totally mm-hmm. a possibility. And again, they had to bring the dad character in there at the last minute. Like that, mm-hmm. if I was constructing this movie like day one, that's how I would have probably constructed it too. I can see why that wouldn't work uh, or why it didn't work maybe um, they saw the same thing. So mm-hmm. that's a small complaint for me. I, I think Saw Gerrera, like, when he leaves, like, it's fine. Like, uh, you know, spoiler alert, spoilers. We've given away everything at this point already. <laughs> but when he doesn't make it, it's just kind of like, okay. I don't, I don't think there was, yeah. like, a, nobody was crying at that moment. In the theater, no, you know? it's like no. A, it's, it's a bigger complaint for me just because I feel like you could – I may have said this on the post game, but again, it was four o'clock in the morning, so I don't know. But uh, I feel like you could write around Saw Gerrera's character 
being in the movie at all with like one sentence of exposition. So I, that was a, to me, that is a very sloppy portion of the movie that takes up a solid 20, 30 minutes, you know? And speaking of exposition, John, you made a point earlier that you felt like this was more for the star Wars fans. And I kind of agree with that in the point that I felt like this should have been only for the star Wars fans. And if so, I mean, first of all, you should as star Wars and I, and I know they want to make as much money as they can, but they need to realize two things. One, this isn't a saga film. And two, this is not a saga film. Like you're going to really, again, take liberties with these and be fine guys. Like if just the star Wars fans see this and love it, you're going to do fine. So why do we have to have six explanations of what the Death Star is and like how yeah. powerful the Death Star? Like we <laughs> we know, guys. Yeah. The reason we're seeing this movie is because we know what the Death Star is and we want right. to know how it got destroyed. Like that's the whole plot. That's the reason yeah. we're there. We yeah. we know none of these characters, none, not one. We've seen Darth yeah. Vader in a trailer, and that's it. All we mm-hmm. want to know is about the Death Star. So. They, they they literally have the weapons test and they do all the kyber crystals and they talk about how powerful it's going to be. We know how powerful it's going to be because we've seen it destroy planets <laughs> on screen. So yeah. we know it's going to yeah. get to that point. So I just don't know why, like, that, that, they should have had one point. They had four pointer scenes in yes. this movie. I counted last yeah. time. They should have had one and it should have said, the Death Star is evil. We're going to take the plans. <laughs> Let's go. That's it. Like, I, yeah. I just could not. It's... Every time they come back to... Grand Moff Tarkin and Vader, like the, you know, our our plan, you know, I, I I just hated the politics between you know, Tarkin and Mendelssohn and just the back and forth of will this work and if it doesn't work, here's what's gonna happen. Well, we know what's gonna work because we've seen it work. You know, I just like, we're they're acting like that the New Hope hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? Like yeah, we don't know look, everything that happened. It's fine to have the characters learn that information. Like you need that. You you don't want to assume you can't assume that the characters know the information that we as fans of movies learned 40 years ago, you know? Like that has to happen, but like you're saying, can't, like that can happen once. It can happen one time and then we can all move <laughs> on and just and just go with it. That was one of my complaints too was I I wrote it down as as a uh, consistency with fan in- intelligence was a was a complaint for me yes. because there's there's yeah. moments where they make it uh, like all these Easter eggs that we're talking about, for example, all of those are notes that are directed only at Star Wars fans. They are not anything that like the, my uh, wife is going to catch. The Guardians know? of the Wills and things yes, like that. Yes, all that yeah. stuff. And it's yeah. great. I love all that stuff. But if you're going to do all of that and if you're going to trust that there's a, a large segment of the population that's going to catch on – you don't have to explain who Obi-Wan Kenobi is. You know, <laughs> like you don't have to have Bail Organa say, Yes, my friend who served me well in the Clone Wars, who is now living as a hermit on Tatooine, I will send for him. Like, we get it. We know who Obi-Wan is. There's gonna be a whole freaking movie about him in a couple years. So like it, it's it's okay. We we don't need that that explainer. You don't need to tell us that. Uh, Yavin 4 is the rebel headquarters. We know. We know this stuff. And yeah. if we don't know it, we don't care. So like there's no there's just no point in this kind of random information. I guess I could handle it better if there weren't so many so many moments where I felt like Gareth Edwards and whoever else really get Star Wars. You know what I mean? So it's like it, it kind of jumps back and forth between these two worlds and that is 
uber frustrating for me. Like I just feel like you have to either you have to either decide you're going to you're going to have to explain everything to the fans and to the viewer or you have to trust that the viewer is not dumb. And that was a cons- that that bothered me. <laughs> I don't know. It's so funny going through this movie four times in such a <laughs> short period of time. It's like it's like the stages of grief or whatever. You know, I'm like I was I was angry a little bit and then I made peace with it and then I really enjoyed it and then I kind of was like but this is stupid and I don't know this is kind of bothersome but but man this is so cool and I love I I've never I don't know that I've ever truly I don't know that I've ever been more uh, conflicted within my my movie soul as I was during this movie it just was a it's a the weirdest experience that I I think I've ever had in a movie it's it's I I'm having I'm like doing therapy on the air with you guys it's just a really weird <laughs> feeling to to have. I suppose yeah. they were playing up to two audiences, really. Now that I think about it, like they do have to appeal to the to the long term Star Wars fan, and also you know for the kid, the ten year olds who are perhaps going to see these movies for the first time. Mm-hmm. And just on the on the Death Star explainers as well, I think that you know had they drawn that back a bit, it would have enabled them to be a bit more artistic with you know uh, Tarkin and and Vader. And you mm-hmm. know, I, I would I would prefer if they didn't reveal uh, Vader until the the very end. Yes. If they, you know, just kept that reveal, I think you guys may have mentioned that on the mm. on the. Um, that would have been reaction. the most epic reveal. Yeah. When he turns <laughs> on the like, like people, yeah. even on the second viewing, and, and the hype had kind of died down. Like when he turns on that saber, like you hear an audible gasp, like in the in the theater, like everyone's just like, oh, you know, uh, it's just so <laughs> epic, and that would have been the the coolest way to introduce him again if that was the case. But it, man. Like, could they have done this without Vader? You know, could they, how much of this, how much further could they have gone without Vader until the last sequence? I think they Mm -hmm. maybe could have done that. I could have done without some of the Mustafar stuff. Like, it's great to see Vader's house, you know, be at a planet that we are familiar with from Revenge of the Sith and where, Mm -hmm. you know, he's, I guess he's kind of been there the whole time and he's just in a, in a, in a, bath of salt you know kind of like luke was in when he got hurt uh in in um i guess it's empire and so that's kind of fun kind of easter eggy oh look there's some royal guards okay that's cool you know but would it have been a more effective thing and they they do the reveal like six times like they (laughs) act like six times that this is the first time we're seeing vader like the like when when uh i guess it's krennic uh meets him you know, they had the big shadow come into the room and like you mm-hmm. see the silhouette of Vader and you hear the uh the breathing of Vader and they show him, you know, for the first time in in the flesh and you're like, okay, that kinda looks like Vader, but I don't remember him having like red eyes. <laughs> but I guess he did in the original trilogy now that I think about it. And, like small things like that that you're thinking about and it's taking you out of the moment rather than just save that moment and just have this awesome, like, orgasmic, oh, my gosh, there's Vader <laughs> at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, th- again, a missed opportunity there, but not to say more Vader isn't better because I want as much Vader in my life. Yeah, it's, it's a weird <laughs> thing to say, hey, stop putting Darth Vader in the Star <laughs> right. Wars movies. But <laughs> you, you guys are both spot on. If that is... If Darth Vader is only in this movie for 15 seconds, or if that's his introduction, is him just wrecking shop on the Rebels, that's the coolest 15 seconds of the year. Easy. I mean, hands down. But it just kind of takes a little bit away from the punch. That moment's awesome. Best moment of the movie. But it, it does take a, a tiny bit away from the punch. Yeah, man. 
can we just get that on a loop in a theater? I'll go see that. Like, you can go see Rogue yeah. One or Darth Vader destroys Rebels for on a loop for two hours. I'll see that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That was awesome. Uh, I really like that. Um, what did we think about the Grand Moff Tarkin stuff, John? I want your thoughts on the CGI face replacement because yeah. I was not a fan the first time. The second time, I think it works in areas. Like, it works in the reflections yeah. really well. Yeah. And I think there's some lines. Uh, there's, like, a line that he takes directly from A New Hope or repeats, um, like, this This will not be tolerated or something like that. And yeah. that works because I feel like I've seen him or heard him say that before, so maybe the lip sync was better on it. Um, but I would say 80% of the time it was kind of jarring to me, and I just couldn't stop thinking about that's not really him. That's a face replacement type of thing. Like mm-hmm. the technology is 93% of the way there, you know, <laughs> like that's that other yeah. 7% that I'm like, Gah! like it's really yeah. close. It's so close in two years. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be perfect. You know, uh, compared, yeah. compared to movies from 2012 and 13, the, you know, the Tron legacies of the world and things like that, like they, they, they've made strides, but this, this is not there yet. It's getting close though. It's getting very close. How did you feel about it? I thought it was extremely well done. Uh, that said, it was, and I know some pe- for some people who I went to see it with, it really took them out of the movie. Uh, so they've obviously got the technology to do it almost near lifelike. Uh, I say almost because, I, as, as you say, like just sometimes the face, perhaps when I think when they're not speaking, it almost refer, uh, returns to a default position. So just you can tell that it's not quite human, it's not quite organic. And I think uh, there was opportunity there. Um, to be a bit more artistic, as you say, maybe show in the reflection a bit more, and just uh, uh, one of the things about this movie, and I silhouette think, is that, maybe more too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you could have done that with Vader earlier mm-hmm. by showing him maybe just on hologram before the end reveal. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, one of the difficult, in some ways, good things about this movie, I guess, for them to navigate was that there were going to be certain characters that they probably had to include in it who who would then carry on through to a new hope, such as Tarkin. Uh, and you know they obviously had the technology to do that in this instance, and it also gave them the freedom. And you, you know we could argue about how much uh, they took that to introduce all these new characters and you know Blue Squadron and a few and uh, some ships. It seems that get completely wiped out in the uh, uh, at Scarif in the final mm-hmm. uh, sequence. So there was some by adding that parameter, it did give them a bit of freedom to introduce these characters who were really, I guess, they were kind of the run of the mill. Um, soldiers and heroes for the rebels that they could wipe out and um yeah and move on from that yeah they actually i saw that they used alternate takes from a new hope in this for some of the pilots uh reactions Mm. and things like that during the battles so that's a cool way to that's a really cool way to include characters from a new hope that you Mm. might recognize but maybe aren't at that age anymore or no longer with us to use alternate takes or stuff from the cutting room floor of a new hope is a really clever way to do that. If they could work that into this, but I mean, there are the amount of references is honestly a lot more than I had expected. Um, I still can't catch the star Wars rebels reference. In- I know what it is. If you, if you want me to tell you, I, I think it's Hera, isn't it? Don't they, they make a mention of her. Yeah. Uh, they mention her like off screen. Yeah. No, they, they, they say, you know, Captain 
Mm-hmm. Uh, General Silla, whatever yeah, her name is. I don't is, remember yeah. her last name, but there's mm-hmm. her father is also a big player in the lineage mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. too, so that could be a reference to that. But yeah, um, there's there's two shots of of the ghost as well. Yeah, the ship. Like, yeah, uh-huh, of the ship, and then you apparently there's one shot where you can see Chopper in the background too. Mm. Let's hope not. Um, <laughs> also, yeah, Chopper's annoying. Um, there is a in a New Hope. A little not Easter egg, kind of for the New Hope, but in kind of the conference room with Grand Moff Tarkin when we first introduced him in a New Hope, and they're at the big uh, round table, and he's uh, they're they're talking about the plans and how the plans have been stolen, and that one guy's like, "It is possible, however unlikely, that the rebels might exploit this, uh, you know, loophole and mm-hmm, use it mm-hmm. to defeat us." You know that sequence. <laughs> that guy, they should have brought him back. I would have been. <laughs> Um, but, we don't yeah. have the technology to uh, um, produce that that quality of sideburn yet. <laughs> I know, which is quality nineteen seventy seven right there, um, British nineteen seventy seven. So there, in that scene though, there is an empty chair at the table. And we're assuming that's Krennic's chair at this point in time. So maybe that's because yeah. Krennic is and at, Moff Tarkin actually makes a reference entering the room like uh now that that's over with uh we can move on with things you know kind of a a reference to these events so i think that's a kind of a cool way to maybe explain something in new hope that was like why is there an empty chair is that vader's chair like why would vader ever sit at the table um so i think that's a cool uh can vader sit i don't know way to to maybe yeah can vader sit in that thing i don't know Uh, like if you're gareth edwards and you're sitting around watching a new hope and empire. You're like, what can I kind of explain that hasn't been explained? Like, that's a very mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. thing, but really cool. Like when you think about it, you know, like just the, uh, links that you go to, to kind of tie all the loose ends up, uh, in mm-hmm. star Wars, uh, is really cool too. Hey man, fam question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people, but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, 
soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron. Blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Can I ask just quickly, uh, what did you guys think of the single uh, reactor ignition or what what have you? So I guess the major destructive... Dude, I, I thought that was kind of cool. I thought that was a good way yeah. to uh, show off the, I guess the, not just the power of the Death Star, but the the range, I guess, of like how, um, yeah, it can totally destroy a planet, or it can just wreck a planet by blowing up a city and just watching, you know, destruction rain down. I thought that was a really cool uh, little yeah. throw in there. Yeah, and I don't know if that was just a let's see what this thing can do or. You know, mm-hmm. Krennic trying to prove to Grand Moff Tarkin that he's not a complete fail, which I think it was. Um, but it also gave us an opportunity to see the, like, what what it looks like when the Death Star is destroying you from the perspective of the Earth or whatever <laughs> planet you're on. Because sure. that is really yeah. cool, too. Yeah, it's definitely. definitely, we've never seen that from that perspective before. We've just, we've been sitting on the Death Star and we see mm-hmm. Alderaan mm-hmm. blow up and it looks pretty like that's it but we never really right. get a sense of the destruction the destructive power yeah. of the death star and mm-hmm. you really def- you definitely do when when jetta is blown up and everybody's there and i think k2so says trouble on the horizon there is no horizon i love that <laughs> line right um that that was powerful as well and also the shots of them on the death star and they're kind of looking down at the destruction as it's coming yeah. up at them the mushroom cloud cool. It's yeah, definitely it effective, and it it's like makes you think more about war than you ever thought you would in a Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, like absolutely. It, the actual yeah. warfare sequences. He he didn't uh, hold anything back, Gareth Edwards, mm-hmm. in these. Yeah, like I, he's like, I'm gonna make a war film in Star Wars. You know, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, I think on the moon, uh, when it's raining, I forgot the name of the moon. Um, that they go to to kind of to to find um to find Miss Galen or so and oh, they Adu. Have, or, yeah Adu. Yeah. I was gonna say indoor um <laughs> when they go there the the kind of action sequence there they have you know it's shot you know all on shoulder cam you know it's it's shot mm-hmm. real shaky uh you know first person. And they have like you know the scene of the kid crying in the street and things are blowing up. I'm, I was just like, this is not Star Wars. Like I'm watching a an mm-hmm. effective war film right now. Like I, I just never thought I would see that. Like that reminded me of the scene in Private Ryan where it's raining and the sniper is sniping everybody and nobody yeah, can move totally. anywhere and they can't go anywhere until the snipe uh, the yeah. sniper gets them. Like that was mm-hmm. just a direct kind of. I'm going to yeah, do that Vin- scene in Star Wars, yeah. you know? When Vinny, Vinny won't turn his back on family. Yeah. Right. Of course. Yeah. He never does until now. <laughs> uh, so that, that kind of, uh, I made that parallel too. It's just how much, how well done the, the scenes were done and it didn't feel like attack of the clones. Like things were just flying everywhere. Like there was actual combat happening. That's what it mm-hmm. felt like. Does that Absolutely. Make sense? Yeah. No, I think that's spot on. It that it's not just that the 
war sequences look well, look good or that they're well shot. It's that they have uh, they have feeling to them. They have a weight um, that doesn't does not exist at any other place within the Star Wars movies. Like I love uh, the battle on Hoth. That's a great looking sequence, and it's it's so cool to see that stuff play out uh, on the excuse me on on the ice. And uh, I love I love the battle of Endor because it you know it jumps back and forth between space and ground troops, and it's such a cool think but those they feel like battles in space <laughs> not like uh not like something that that has like slightly advanced warfare basically of like what we have now you know what i mean like it feels uh very very real and it's something and that has and occurred that adds or to the, will occur yeah yeah, yeah. It, it adds to the 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 magnitude of those those sequences yeah uh brian can you back me up on this and say this is this movie has by far the coolest ships of any Star Wars movie. I mean, the yeah, amount it, of it, yeah, like, stuff they, they cram also, into it is just right. It's it's a smorgasbord of just uh-huh, like yeah. uh, vehicles and stuff. They have the luxury, Gareth Edwards and company, of of building of, of they have like all the Star Wars ships in the Star Wars galaxy are at their disposable, and then they can add some more to it. So that's a cool spot to be in to be able to uh, to add in a few of your own little touches but also you can call back all you want because it's i mean this movie literally sits right in the middle of all the star wars movies so it's you know if some ship from the prequels uh popped up that would make sense because it's really not that far from the prequels and if something from return of the jedi pops up that also makes sense because it's not far from return of the jedi so that's a cool spot to be in there's nothing there's n- nothing off limits, and I love. I think all the new ships were awesome. That was a, yeah. all of them were great introductory uh, ships to this. The uh, yeah, Krennic's ship is awesome. It's kind of like Kylo mm-hmm. Ren's and Darth Vader's, yeah. but different and more mm-hmm. sinister mm-hmm. in a, in a weird way. Uh, I think all I I love the hammerhead that they brought from Star Wars Rebels. They. Mm-hmm. The hammerhead that they use to to push the star destroyers into each other, I like it's like a really effective way to use the ship. I love that. Yeah. I love the new Tie Fighters that like tie it. They're like a really aerodynamic, like sharp mm-hmm. looking Tie Fighters. Tie Strikers. Tie Striker. That's what they're awesome, called. Yeah. I mean, those mm-hmm. are just so cool, and they yep. really give them like their moment in this. Like, it's not like you just see them in a flash. Like, they really focus on them, and like they fly by really cool formation and everything. Like. They actually show you this stuff too. It's not just like it's there. If you pause it on Blu-ray, you'll see it. No, like they, mm-hmm. they show mm-hmm. these on the screen. And I was a huge fan, and you know, Brian, of of J.J. Abrams' redesign of the Stormtrooper and the First Order and everything. I uh-huh. thought that whole just production design and look and feel was awesome. And I love mm-hmm. the changes there. It just felt like such a natural progression of like, what if 50 years down the road there are still stormtroopers? Like, how will they have evolved, you know? And yeah, I think that yeah. was a perfect yeah. representation of that. Or, like, if stormtroopers went away completely and all that the Empire had was, like, reference photos or drawings of stormtroopers <laughs> and they had to recreate them, like, okay, it's not the same, but it kind of looks like them, you know? Mm-hmm. I thought that was yeah. good, too. And as far as this goes, this might have better troopers than any star wars movie like i love the death troopers the hover tank troopers are yeah. awesome the scare yeah. of stormtroopers are awesome the you know this the traditional stormtroopers have their moments as well in this mm-hmm. uh it's just well, a tremendously cool movie you know yeah it, it's cool to see i i think what part of what lends that feeling or or what buys that feeling from you is seeing 
uh, seeing troops in actual action because there, I mean, it pops. It, it's not like that doesn't ever happen on uh, in the original trilogy, but there are limited moments where you see uh, troops fighting in an environment that it's not just like on a spaceship or a space station or something like that. Like storming Hoth, very little on indoor cause they're just getting wrecked by the Ewoks and stuff. Like it just, it doesn't happen just a whole lot. And so this movie to me is the first one where you really get to see a ground troop element with, uh, with the, the, the stormtroopers and, and the death troopers are an awesome addition to it and I'll, I'll go a step further and say i think the the battle over scarif is maybe the best well it is it's the best looking from the series and part of that is because the background of this like beautiful beachy yeah. blue planet while uh this destruction is happening uh, above it is a really cool sequence uh and it, and it looks man it looks great he crushed it on on the cinematography and the look of the and the design of this movie yeah and the juxtaposition of the AT-ATs or the ATCATs, I think, cargo vehicles in mm-hmm. this. Um, the juxtaposition of that, which you're, you know, we're typically used to seeing them in the snow and then putting them in the complete opposite of that in the beach mm-hmm. is also mm-hmm. great too. So that kind of plays into that as well. Uh, something that I thought kind of mirrored that opening scene with Krennic and, and uh, Urso and Glorious Bastards. Where, yeah, uh, sure. you know, uh, Christoph Waltz comes to the farm. It's a farm, mm-hmm. and he's curious, like, why are you a farmer now? You know, all that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then they try to find the family, you know, the girl that's hidden and all that. Uh, it's definitely reminiscent of that sequence, maybe the feeling-wise and all that. Definitely not as long, but um, mm-hmm. that. Another Easter egg I couldn't kind of figure out, the call sign or the the password for them to enter the, the uh, Scarif base or through the portal or not the portal the gate was mm-hmm. sw0608 yeah i and, kept thinking that over and, over and i keep over thinking over. it's yeah. star wars 06 like six movies mm-hmm. and now this is the eighth movie like that's the only like parallel okay. i can draw like star wars six and then eight because <laughs> now there are eight like that like there's got to be some reason for because they say it like four <laughs> times like you're supposed to know this reference, you know, SW0608. Oh, of course. It's not yeah. like THX 1138 where everyone would be like, oh, of course. George right, Lucas' right, right. first movie, cool Easter egg. Mm-hmm. This was just a random number, and I, I, I guess that's what it means, but if we get Gareth Edwards on the show at any point, I'm going to SW0608. <laughs> like, what? why? I guess FN2187 didn't really mean anything other than Finn. Like, that explains his name, yeah. Finn, but the numbers really didn't mean much, did they? Like, no, not that I know of. Yeah, yeah, very picky of me. I know, but <laughs> no, I thought the same thing every time. I was like, "What could that mean?" What you is know? it? It's something. Nah, it's not you know. nothing because it would. It would have. Maybe it's just in there to drive us all crazy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Luke's birthday by the space calendar. Yeah, yeah. it's just something like that. What are you gonna do? I think the hologram sequence with her father is effective, though. I don't know about you, but like. I always like that in A New Hope. I don't know why that's so cool. The the help me Obi Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, and that, mm. and you know the first kind of exposition we get of Leia and like what's actually going on in the galaxy is that moment. I feel the same way here, but in a more emotional way. And I think that was an effective use of the hologram, which is a really cool moment that you never want to use too much. Um, mm. I really 
just think that's one of the one of the highlights of like stuff that actually does work with these characters together and the emotion of this movie. I think that's yeah. one of the moments. There are some the there are some touching moments throughout, and that's one mm-hmm. of the very few I would say. You know, I like that conceit. I like the setup, um, but I. I just I like Mads Mikkelsen a lot. I thought his uh, his delivery of those lines was really bad, and that it, it kind of held me back. It felt like like I know the whole deal is he's trying to hurry and record this real fast before he gets caught and and send it off. But it it seems like kind of to your point, Kent, that it seems like he had three minutes, and he's just like uh, he's like between <laughs> shots on Hannibal or something, and was like, yeah, okay, look, we'll do this really fast, but I'm reading this in three minutes in one take, and that's it. It just was kind of. Not necessarily even force, but like, hey, you could take a breath. Just like try and bring this home a little bit. Yeah, I wish it. I mean, I felt the emotion like she's crying and everything. And he's like, I've thought about you my whole life. I wish you were there. I wish you were safe and all that stuff like that stuff really worked. in my opinion. Um, And again, very few emotional scenes. Like there's no connection between Cassian and her at all. Like, you know, they're not getting together at the end of the day. Like they kind of do. Like they die together or whatever, but you know, like there's nothing going on there. <laughs> yeah, there's just no Thank goodness. There's, there's yeah. no chemistry. Um, so that's that's the f- little bit of heart that this movie has. I feel like it does work there. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your opinion on Chirrut and uh, Bay's Malbus and the fact that is are we saying Donnie Yen is not a Jedi? Because I've seen that out there. Uh, like, like he respects, he's not, he's not a Jedi. Like he, okay. Like he respects the force yeah. and yeah. Uh, like wants to learn the force, but it's never ex- explicitly said that he is a Jedi or knows the Jedi or they say, I guess they, uh, Baze Malbus says like the Jedi are all gone now or something like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I always, I, I guess I just assumed the first time I just thought that he was like, yeah, like a Jedi master, uh, you know, he's blind or whatever. And he's kind of on this own planet. But he's like Obi-Wan, you know, an old Jedi master that's kind of, you know, past his prime. And that's fine. Um, but it makes more sense now that he's kind of a silent observer and that if you mm-hmm. trust the Force, you don't have to have the Force. But right. if you trust the Force, right. that that's all you need. And there's several scenes where he walks, like, through the battle and, you know, uh, mm-hmm. lightsabers and, and lasers are flying by him and he goes unharmed. But, again, trust the Force. And there's a mention of uh at the in the very first I keep going back to that first scene that prologue but she her mom says to her, to Jen Erso trust the force mm-hmm. and like that's the only mention of the force like in the whole movie until him until base mal I mean uh until Jared Emway but it like I said to Brian John uh this movie concentrates a lot less on like the mythos and mythology of the Star Wars universe and the force and you know and all that it's really just kind of a one-stop shop this movie it doesn't it doesn't really explore a lot of the a lot of the history or any of that uh in this movie is that a good thing do do we need Um, that in our star wars i'm fine without it like i'm fine with the mention of the force but i didn't need like an old jet wise jedi master just sitting there and explaining stuff to jenner so you know like Kind of like the Moskatana character was in The Force Awakens. Like, I'm glad we didn't get that in this, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think they can do it without it, and they probably showed it in this in this movie. And uh, the mention of the Force, as you said at the start, the necklace. I think that's mm-hmm. probably more than anything, just to give it a bit of a shout out to you know 
um, as as part of the movie that it's not entirely forgotten. And uh, this is Star Wars, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, 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 I took Chirrut to be force sensitive. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that character that Max von Sydow played at, um, mm-hmm. yeah. at the start mm-hmm. of the Force Awakens was described like that as well. And yeah, so I, I was happy to go along with that. And he, for, I mean, for me, he was he was a great character. And that scene where he's manipulating the bodies of the uh, stormtroopers with his staff. Uh, oh, to use so it as awesome. a shield. That's just awesome. Yeah. So using the stormtrooper as an actual shield, that's yeah. the coolest. And yeah. the actual like, staff is great too. Yeah. Like yeah. each character probably needed a moment like that to really sell them, and I think that only he really got that. Uh, yeah, it was, it was something that perhaps the others lacked a bit. I think that uh, what we were saying earlier, uh, not to take us on a tangent, but um, with the the hologram that. Um, Gail and Erso put together it would have been good I think if uh, maybe they could have carved out a scene where maybe he's giving that to, uh, um, to Riz Ahmed at the start of the movie because uh, um, yeah I agree as he was carrying it but you know um, I also would have liked to see uh, Jin you know maybe shiv someone in space prison but we uh, <laughs> <laughs> we obviously didn't have enough time they, they wanted to get things moving yeah yeah <laughs> no, absolutely. I think that that was always a confusing character to me. The the defector pilot, um, yeah. never really it's, understood who he was working for. You know, it's he, pretty he poorly written. He kind of, he kind of like uh, it comes together, but it's poorly written to start it off. I think. Yeah, it, I mean, I think he finally says in the end his true motivations, but mm-hmm. it's uh, you know, he's sacrificing for the for the good of yeah. humanity or whatever it is, but um. I mean, it's just kind of something that I could have done without, or like you can still have this movie with, without that. Um, I just feel like at every character that you introduce, every line that is spoken, you need to tell yourself or ask yourself, can this movie be made without this? You know? <laughs> and if it can't, yeah, then. Absolutely. Yeah. Should you do it? I mean, I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think you're. I think you're. Maybe spot I'm on being too picky. Like, no, I, look. The, the deal is, this is a this is a freaking Star Wars movie, and I think this is a good movie. I think it is a. I think it's much closer to a Marvel movie than a Star Wars movie, and that's fine. Like I have no complaint about that, and I love the Marvel movies as much as anybody. But, um, you know, I think for I don't want to speak for you guys, but for me, like Star Wars means way more to me than anything else in film. So I'm I'm always going to, um pick it apart if if it needs to be picked it apart picked apart i'm always going to look at it um as as long and hard as i can because i think i think there's a higher standard for what a star wars movie is as compared to i don't know like fantastic beasts and where to find them or something like that like it's it's fine but this is uh this is more important i think to again to me and i i kind of i think to to the two of you and so that's yeah i think that's part of it i think yeah <laughs> it's it's a hard so. spot to be in because uh, i I, lo- I really like the movie but there's there's a lot that could have been i think smoothed over in a better way yeah i i really like the moment where they kind of de- destroy scarif at the end i guess it is uh-huh. yeah. and we have the two sons moment with uh with our two main characters there they're embracing the Star Wars, you know, reprise comes up, and it's that Luke staring into the two suns again, it kind mm-hmm. of moment. Obviously, it's not a sun; it's a it's a nuclear blast. But 
uh, it was a cool kind of parallel to that. You know, on yeah. the opposite yeah. of somebody looking into the horizon with hope and you know a future rather than somebody looking at their own death uh i thought Mm -hmm. was a cool (laughs) juxtaposition there and speaking of that the star wars music um i don't know about you john but even the second time it just irked me when we see the phrase rogue one why it couldn't say why it couldn't have like that's it like we don't need the whole even uh, fanfare. Like just give us the Star Wars like cue, and that's like it could say Rogue One, and then under it a Star Wars story, and it would be fine. Like it says Rogue One, and like that's it, and like it's kind of weird and jarring, and it and you don't expect it because you expect that at the beginning, if anywhere. But like if you're gonna do that, use the fanfare. But. If they're like, okay, well, we need to write a Rogue One theme. Like, that, this needs to be the theme of the movie. That's fine, but use it more. Like, it, it just sounded like a poor ripoff of the, yeah. the Star Wars fanfare. Yeah. And, but, they used the Star Wars fanfare several times in the movie, mainly at mm-hmm. the, very, the closing credits. So, it's not like, oh, well, we don't want to use the Star Wars fanfare in this movie. Like, it's yeah. off limits. Like, if it was off limits, that's fine. Totally understand. But if it's not off limits, you have mm-hmm. to use it there. Mm-hmm. Like, it, yeah. like it, may, it would make a big difference if you, if you heard the Star Wars fanfare and saw Rogue One. You would, have, you would feel a little bit different at the beginning mm-hmm. of this movie. You would feel a little more energized than, like, what are we kind of watching? Like, is this a part of it or is it not? It's just more right. confusing, and I can't believe that Lucasfilm made that call, honestly. Like somebody, yeah. somebody had to sign off on that, and I, I can't believe that that's the call that was made. I, I mean, in hindsight, like I feel like the special edition is going to come out with like fixed uh, music <laughs> at the beginning. Like now we get to finally get the Star Wars theme at the beginning, guys. Come on, it's not that hard. I just <laughs> it, that pisses me off, honestly. Like, come on, guys, give John William the credit. Where credits do, he wrote the Star Wars theme. Freaking put it at the beginning of the movie. I'm fine with not having the crawl at the beginning, the Star yeah. Wars, and the whole crawl, and the like, the four paragraphs you have to read. I'm fine with that, but just play the song. Dadgummit! I'm sorry, I'm so emotional. I'm freaking. There's, yeah, you're right. You're right. It feels it was, like it's, 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 it feels like you're doing a fake Star Wars movie. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's a spin-off of the of the real thing, and that's that's why it's a bit weaker and. Um, it's like they've just decided to make it a complete division between these and the saga movies where they don't have the opening crawl and the Star Wars, the actual Star Wars theme. Uh, I, I thought like you could, you could almost see the value of the opening crawl when it jumped around from planet to planet to start off with where, cause yeah, the, the use totally. of that is where it like orients you to the movie. But that's a good point in, yeah. in saying that I, I, I am quite happy for them to reserve it for the, for the mm. saga movies that, bit more special i tried to pay a bit more attention to the score on this previous viewing and like yeah it, d- it didn't really hit any high notes really but uh, one one thing i did like was the when they uh, i think when they first arrive at Jeddah, mm-hmm. there's this uh, kind of drums and gongs uh yeah. really intense uh different music that's playing i really enjoyed that but outside of that yeah uh, there wasn't any real great additions to the uh to the Star Wars musical side of things. No, yeah, mm-hmm. it just kind of got the job done. And that's yeah. a disappointment. I always expect mm-hmm. to be blown away with Star Wars music. I was in The, in the Force Awakens. I loved yeah. some of the, the new Absolutely. themes that he brought, Ray's theme, and some, yeah. of, the, some of the bigger moments with Kylo Ren is, is, is great. And 
it just didn't bring that much to the table here uh, yeah. as far as the original score. So we've been talking a lot about this, and we'll talk more about Rogue One. But before we get out of here, I do want to talk about kind of where this is headed because this was a big success again. Uh, $150 million opening weekend. This will easily make its money back and, and the whole nine. But I've seen headlines out there like uh, uh, Rogue One proves that Star Wars is back. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure the fact that <laughs> yeah, that, let's talk about last year that, that, that the Force like, Awakens was the second highest grossing movie of all time proves God. that Star Wars is back. But this uh, has been a banner week in just terrible lines, at, yeah. at the very least headlines and if and maybe just full on movie journalism has been a friggin' travesty this week. It's unbelievable the number. I've I've unfollowed so many media outlets this week. I'm just like, what what are we doing, y'all? Like this is. This is the stupidest thing you could possibly put in a headline. It's been unbearable for me this week. Yeah, I completely agree. But they've said stuff like, uh, like that, and also, quote, "Star Wars or Rogue One proves that Star Wars deserves the Marvel treatment." Mm-hmm. And I just, I just want to say at the outset, I love Star Wars. It's my number one franchise movies. Um, as far as movies and you know a multiple series or trilogy or anything like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um i think it's easily number one for a lot of people having said that um i'm 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 fine with not having new star wars every single year i would be happy with it i'll gladly go see them all but Mm -hmm. i I, what i want and i think the prequels prove this we want star wars movies that a are good and b that are about stories that we care about seeing like Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I feel like from the Star Wars fans' perspective, Rogue One is one of about the top three stories that if you were to request a movie on, it probably would get that. The the Rebels' plans to steal the Death Star would make a great movie and is is always something that's referenced and never explained, you know, through through the the Clone Wars or the Rebels or any other means other than, you know, novelizations that aren't canon anymore. This, um, I feel like, could have done... Maybe a better job of that. Um, it it explains. I should should we get a Star Wars movie every year that isn't a hundred percent, hundred and fifty percent necessary? That's my point. Like how <laughs> how how many more ideas are they going to have that are that feel like okay this this that would be interesting or this would be done? other than Han Solo origin and this they haven't thought of any other ideas. They haven't announced like Boba Fett was going to be one that they've canned or canceled or for the time being or shelved. But I mean, I'm just. I think there's a lot less you can do with Star Wars than with Marvel. Not not saying that you can't make 50 Star Wars movies in a decade, which you probably could. But there's a lot less stories to be told in Star Wars that would feel necessary. Like there's a lot left less that uh, would would kind of draw you back to Star Wars. Does that make sense? I don't know. Yeah, I, it, it, I mean, I, like I hear what you're saying. I it, I would. It, it would be way easier to water this down than it would Marvel, in my opinion. I I don't necessarily disagree, but I do think I I would say Marvel has kind of led the way in sense of like Ant Man and Doctor Strange and these and Guardians of the Galaxy is a great example of like I have never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy until two years before it went into production, or or I guess when it went into production. So. Um, so to me, like that, that shows that, um, you can take these kind of smaller outlier stories or characters or situations or pieces of, 
the Star Wars mythos and and history and whatnot, and flesh it out if uh, if you do it correctly. Now, to your point, you should always be making a star. Like I never, we should never ever ever have a bad Star Wars movie. That should not happen. Um, because again, because we've, we've been through hell, uh, three times. And so, uh, that can't, you can't happen again. I, you know, if you told me, if you gave me the choice between a star Wars movie every year and one out of five is going to be a B plus or worse, or we're going to have a star Wars movie every three years, but they're all going to be A's. Then obviously I'm going to take that second choice. But like, I guess my point is they're, we're pretty much set on this course. We're going to get a Star Wars movie every year, so let's make sure we pick the right storylines to do it. I think this was a good one. I, I said from the outset, um, I think this is a really this is a good place to start. It gives you a kind of a feel for what the Star Wars stories are going to look like, and it ties in really, really well, I think, to uh, the existing trilogies. And so you don't have to carve out a lot of space for it. It just kind of fits right in. I know we're going to get origin stories. I'm excited for them to go back and I think hopefully fill in the gaps between, well, maybe just redo the prequels. I don't know. Like, <laughs> give us something uh, in that time period that feels uh, a lot more necessary and um, what's the word? Good. Uh, and so that would be something that I, I think they're going to do. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see Knights of the Old Republic become a thing at some point. Um, I think there's a lot of places where you can insert these these movies and they don't have to. Uh, they don't have to carve out a lot of space, and if they're good movies to great movies, and if they make a lot of money, and um, you're getting talented people involved, then I, you know, by all means, like let's do it. Let's let's go. I, to me, there's no shortage of uh, areas in which you can explore this universe. I think it's a very vast universe to to work within. I I agree. Um, I just don't, I just want it to feel necessary. You know, I don't want I don't want people on the street saying, oh. You know, yeah. like another st- like they do with Marvel. Oh, Thor three. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're saying. You know, um, yeah. I, I guess I, I'm after, just more resigned to that's how it's going to be at some point. Yeah. So might as well get as many of these movies in as we can. Well, is it though? After after Han Solo and after Episode nine, like where do you go from here? You know, like oh, it, like are you uh, really going to do Episode ten and continue that storyline? Um, will you? Uh, where do I, you go? That's that's the whole like. The the future is so like uh, hazy at this point for what what stories they're going to explore other than Ray and Kylo. We're going to get that yeah. in the next two movies, but that's that's really it. You know, the Skywalker story is done. You know, at that point, we think. You know, um, I would still mm-hmm. like to see a movie that's set between Jedi and The Force Awakens. I know that won't ever happen. Yes, but yeah. I would love yeah. to see. What I like think you how could Kylo, totally do that. I think yeah. you could totally do a Kylo yes. Ren movie about mm-hmm. how he became sure. Kylo Ren, uh, and that would be really and you know Poe Dameron as well, how he's mm-hmm. one of the yeah. the biggest you know the best pilot in the galaxy or whatever after Luke. So, um, sure, there's the characters okay. that they've already like, introduced that they could explore more as well. I'd love them maybe to take a self-imposed break after, as you say, Episode Nine and the Han Solo movie. It'd probably be hard to hold themselves back, considering they, you know, they bank a billion dollars or more with oh, each of yeah. these movies. One guy would like, one guy would like to see spun off is uh, that little dude who was hiding behind the wall in uh, on Jetta. <laughs> yeah, the little Warwick uh, <laughs> Davis character or whatever. Yeah. Road to the plan to steal back the plans of the Empire to steal the. <laughs> 
Yeah. For the, <laughs> the Death Star, um, featuring Pedro Pascal, Matthew Reese, Idris Elba, and uh, okay. Ray Lott. Yeah. yeah. I'll take yeah. Matthew Reese. Just whatever you want to do in Star Wars, Matthew. We're we're open to that opportunity. How yeah. awesome would he be in this? Golly. Is he, yeah. Um. Whatever. Like, just just get him in the movies. That's totally I good. I can just imagine <laughs> him with an X-wing helmet on, and it would be awesome. Um, yeah. That needs or just. To happen. Hanging out with Carrie Russell, that also would be cool too. Like, By the way, no one more thing uh, before we hit grades is the, just the freaking attention to detail on the last scene of mm-hmm. Darth Vader and everything. Just how many, how much stuff they cram into there as far as yeah. matching A New Hope is so impressive. Mm-hmm. Like, like mm-hmm. they have to transmit the, they have to get the signal, you know, the plan, and then they have to transmit, transfer the plan from the computer onto the little card so that Princess. Then they give it to Princess Leia, so Princess Leia can put the card in R two D two. There's details like that. Uh, the angles of the ships flying out. Uh, you know, the kind of escape ship. They, you know, mm-hmm. they have rebel pilots running by. Say, make sure to yeah. check the escape pods and things like that. Uh, the, the sirens blaring. The exact siren from uh, yeah. Hope mm-hmm. blares, mm-hmm. and it's so yeah. it's gives you chills thinking about it. The siren and like it. You know, they say like uh, something like. I close the airlock, you know, uh, he's, co- they're coming, you know, and, and all the rebels kind of brace for when Darth Vader blows open that door in a new hope mm-hmm. at the very end. Yeah. That's an awesome moment. Uh, there's so many cool like moments that they could have ended on this movie, you know, and it would have been like, man, it just ends right where the next one kind of starts, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. and I guess they end with princess Leia. Uh, they gave us hope. It's like Gareth Edwards' name. It's like that's fine. It's just kind of an awe moment at the end. But like I wanted it to end. I think I said in the last one where the ship kind of flies away and and Darth Vader says, you know, I'll take him from here or something like that. But I love the moment where he goes ape on the rebel pilots, Mm -hmm. and I love the moment where they kind of brace for impact with the the blast doors. I think it should could have maybe ended there, you know. Uh, where there, where you're kind of looking at that door, waiting for Darth Vader to blow through it, because you know he's going to, and it just ends there. I think that would have been really cool, kind of cliffhanger way to end it, kind of like they did with uh, Revenge of the Sith. It's a very similar kind of. Uh, you need to wrap up a lot of loose ends here at the end, and we're going to do it with a lot of style, and it's going to be your favorite part of the movie. You know, when mm-hmm. when Anakin gets the Darth Vader suit on, and we see Aunt Beru, and then they go their separate ways, and then that's a really cool moment in the in the the prequels and they really accomplished that here. So, man, I could talk about this for another 2 hours. <laughs> Maybe we'll do a part 3 here in the next couple of weeks. Who knows? But this is awesome and definitely uh, a lot more conversation than I had anticipated for this movie. A lot a lot of stuff to talk about and we haven't even I haven't even scratched the surface on a lot of the mythos of the characters and everything that I would love to discuss at some point in time. But until then, Let's hit a grade. I'm going to give Rogue One an A. Uh, I really, really think they accomplished something with this movie. Uh, it doesn't work on an individual level. Like, each tree sucks, but the forest is awesome. You know? Uh, <laughs> and that's how I feel with this movie. Uh, sure. The individual parts aren't that great, but the whole is. And that's what directing's all about, right? Making it all work, despite, you know, things don't go the way you plan all the time. But can you can you pull it all together at the end of the end of the day? And I feel like for sure they did with Rogue One. So looking forward to see where they go with these offshoot uh, standalones. Brian, what are you going to give it? 
Yeah, I'm going to go just a little bit lower than you and go A-. minus. I think, gosh, there's so many good parts, and I think uh, you're totally right, Kent. As a whole, it's great. Uh, I just, I'm, I'm still, I'm not at a point where I feel like I can, uh, I'm still frustrated, I guess, by, by these, uh, these things that to me mm-hmm. just, just really feel like sloppiness and that, that could have been, could have been worked out. It's been weird. I have found myself, uh, with some of my friends and, and people that I know have been so high on it that I feel like I, I almost want to like fight them and bring it down. And then there are other people who have been not very high on it and i feel like i need to say to them no you're wrong and here's why so it's like it's really i feel caught in the middle and i don't know how to handle that because i'm usually pretty all in on on anything so i'm gonna go a minus for me it would be probably fifth out of the eight movies i'd I'd have it beneath uh, the all three of the original trilogy and force awakens and and above uh the prequel films i would rank it uh probably star wars the empire strikes back um, Rogue One, then The Force Awakens, wow. and then probably Jedi. I, Jedi has a whole good place in my heart, but as far as good, like the best movie, I think mm. Star Wars is the best movie. The first one, The New Hope. Yeah. And, I um, think Empire was the best one, and then Star Wars. And then Empire, and then the two new ones. So, yeah. tough competition. John, go, give us your grade, and kind of where does this rank? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just now uh, th- thinking that at the start of the podcast that uh, I think I excluded The Force Awakens from my rankings. And I think uh, after my second viewing, I probably would have been more on uh, Brian's side of the fence. But um, subsequently, I've, you know, I've really enjoyed uh, later viewings. And I th- look, to be, to be fair, the fact that they haven't uh, nailed the whole thing on maybe your first viewing uh, is a is a criticism, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty happy with it now. And uh, I guess on a scale where the Force Awakens is an A plus, I would give this an A. Yeah, I think the Force Awakens. I mean, it knew what it wanted to do. Its mission was just to make you freaking miss Star Wars and like say, God, I love Star Wars. You know, like it. Like George Lucas was right. Like they 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 wanted a throwback movie with the Force Awakens. And for me first impression of the force awakens i was a hundred times higher on it than i was not a hundred times maybe 20 times higher on it than i was <laughs> Rogue One. but like uh that just because that first kind of just like oh my gosh it's back you know and like you you don't think about it as much as a movie at that point rather than just the experience that 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 joy from your childhood has returned you know like it's like running into an old friend that you thought you'd never see again. You know what I mean? It's like, oh my gosh, we used to be best friends and now we live in the same town and we can hang out all the time. Oh, this is going to be, you know like what I mean? It's like, you just, just that, that hope of like things to come like really spars you. And for me, this one just felt better maybe the first time around and just more solid and just kind of like, I know this, that I'm going to revisit this multiple times. It has less of a, less of an impact on me that way than the force awakens did as far as just um pure nostalgia just pure i'm just glad to be back nostalgia um so that has it going for it but re- immensely rewatchable this one is lots of stuff to dig into of course and we have only scratched the surface like i said so until next time john you've been awesome thanks for joining us and 
for seeing the movie five times. I'm sure Lucas appreciates it. <laughs> but where can we find you on the internets if we were to do so? Thanks. <laughs> I don't know if my Twitter handle is uh, appropriate. Um, oh, yeah, it's not. It's not. I know it's a family-friendly show, so that's fine, guys. But no, I really, really enjoy, have enjoyed being on, and uh, thanks for having me on. I know like, as someone who does a bit of part-time podcasting myself, I know how much of an effort it can be to uh, – kind of get it together each week and, and put something together. So um, really appreciate what you guys do. And, um, and thanks to my wife for uh, turning me on to you guys a few years back. Yeah, uh, I think yeah she's now been you great say- as well. <laughs> Tell her we say, we say hello. And uh, you guys are always welcome on the show. And again, thanks for joining us. And it's our pleasure to do it every week. Uh, we wouldn't do it unless we enjoyed it. That's for sure. Yeah, we can so. honestly say that since Richard's not here. So yeah. the, the two of us really oh, enjoy doing this. Richard does it despite hating it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, let that yes. be known. Uh, Brian, where can we find you online? You can find me on the Twitter, Beagle12. You can find my writing at madaboutmoviespodcast.com and the Mad About Movies Podcast newsletter. Richard, where can we find you? Nope, Richard's not here. Kent, where can we find you? Can you find me. Sorry, dude. Uh, it's okay. On Twitter at Kent Garrison. Find our show online at madaboutmoviespodcast.com. Go back and listen to all of our Star Wars episodes. We've done episodes on every single <laughs> Star Wars movie, believe it or not. And we talked about all those, and we talked about The Force Awakens multiple times. So go back, rewatch those. Go back, see Rogue One again. Give us your thoughts. We love those. And until next week, I think we're talking La La Land, Brian. Perhaps. Gosh, I hope. I hope. I hope. We'll try. I'll try. Maybe someday. Try. Uh, we'll Gosh, see we're definitely going to get a La La Land episode before yeah. it's all said. Yeah, we will. Uh, may the force be with you. See you next time. Goodbye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. Calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. They're making me ya ya. Your salad is scrambled eggs. They're calling again.